just keeping that spirit of prayer, but I want to invite Susie and the kids that are going today um, from tonight until Thursday night this week. We have a group of students that are going to be working in Hartford with the Hartford Project, and you're going to leave Susie stand here by herself? Or you want to? Come on, Susie, get them up here. Huh? Oh, here comes Jess. There we go. We just want to pray for them, and let's ask God to use them this week. Let's ask God to bless them. And um, just pray his blessing on the week. I know I've participated. I've been a part of the Hartford Project for a number of years. It's a really a great ministry. Um, there's about 600, 700 kids in total that come now. I think it's uh, three weeks uh, in the summertime. They descend on the city of Hartford. They rake leaves, clean gutters, paint walls share Jesus. I mean, it's really a great thing. So these guys are in for a great week. And, uh, but so Jess, you're the, is this your first time, right? All right. You're in for a good one. Let's pray for him. Okay. Lord, we want to thank you for, thank you for Susie and for her, first of all, her service and her, her, her love for our kids. And we pray your blessing upon her, Lord. Lord, I pray that you would work in our students' lives. We thank you for these young ladies and the others that are going. And we pray, God, that you would bless them this week and that you would use them this week in really powerful ways. I pray that they would find that, um, like they would go to places and really even feel as though you were already there ahead of them and like preparing it for them, God. And I pray that they would find themselves just time after time this week in divine appointments where like you already set it up and they would be amazed by what they see you doing um, through them and i also pray god that you would do a cool work in them lord i know that this has the potential to be life-changing for these young people and so we uh, pray for that as well this week and we pray for the entire Hartford Project. Lord, I really just love this ministry. Dave Ambrose and the other pastors that have directed it over the years, we thank you for it. And I pray, Lord, that you would continue blessing it and expanding it. And uh, we would ask that um, Hartford be, uh, well, that it be the city on a hill that uh, it was first dreamed of being by uh, Thomas Hooker all those years ago. So we ask this now in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Susie. Girls, have an awesome week. We have a, you can be seated, but we also have a few other things that we need to pray for this morning. Just some family prayer. So uh, today is the last Sunday that we're going to be uh, celebrating with uh, the Germayas and family. They're moving this week to Alabama. And uh, Cindy and I see one child is there, Faith is there, but uh, and Carter's in the back in the sound room. The Germayasons have really been a tremendous blessing to our church. And you turn on the radio 102.5, you uh, are enjoying the Germayasons ministry, not just to New River, but to this whole region. And um, we're thankful for them. But they've got to move, so that stinks. I kind of wish we were Star Trek so we could just do the transporter thing and it would be all solved, you know? That's Karis' influence on me. 
But, um, and then the other one also is uh, Mo and Tammy Sukram are moving to Florida. Uh, Mo's got some work down there, and so they're transplanting their family. And Mo and Tammy have been a part of New River since, I mean, the very, very, God bless you, the very, very beginning. Um, they, were, they were here before Karis and I even got here. That's a, pretty amazing. And you look the same, Tam, like you haven't aged a bit. So let's uh, pray for them, okay, specifically this morning. And um, be sure as well, don't let them go today without giving them a good goodbye. We want to thank you for your presence in our church body. And we're very grateful for you. And we pray God's richest blessing on your families. So Lord, um, we want to pray for both the Gramiasons and for the Sukrams, and we would ask, Lord, as they move this week, <clears throat> that all the details of their moves would fall into place. I know that's, an, that's a huge undertaking. So please, God, pray that, you know, trucks and just everything falls into line, Lord, and that it all happens in good time. I pray, Lord, as well, that you would bless them in their new places where they're living. Lord, we, we trust that um, <clears throat> their moves are not by accident, that, Lord, you have a purpose and a plan for it. And so we would ask that um, you would bless them. Bless the Sucrums in Florida, Jacksonville. We pray, Lord, you bless the Grimiasons in Alabama. Pray, Lord, that their families would thrive. I pray also, Lord, that they would find good church fellowship there, that they would find good brothers and sisters that can come around them and encourage them and, and walk with them in life. And so, Lord, we um, pray that your hand literally go with them and on them. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. And then one more family we need to pray for are the um, Floreses, Harless and Lori and Jesse, as you heard a couple weeks ago, are going to Nicaragua and they're leaving um, this Wednesday for Nicaragua. We've had a ministry in Nicaragua as a church for many years. If you don't know that, if you're new, we've been working there for 17, 18 years. And uh, Harless has developed a really close friendship with our pastor, Teodoro, there. And so they're going representing us, really, to uh, just to get some fresh eyes on how the ministry is there. And um, I'm certain that they'll be coming back with um, ideas for how you and I can get involved more in that ministry. It's been so cool to see in Nicaragua. 18, 17 years ago, whenever it was, it was a small group of people, 10, 12 people, on a little chunk of property that was surrounded by open sewage, no electricity, no running water, nothing but a vision and a dream. And we partnered with that small group of people 17 years ago. And today there's a thriving church ministry there, a school, a Christian school with 185 kids going to school every day. The neighborhood at one time was governed by three gangs who constantly fought each other for turf territory. 
I believe at least one of those gang members has now come to Christ and is a part of the church. And they now protect the church property. In our early days, we had things stolen. One time I remember we had wood benches stolen. I don't know why you would steal wood benches, but they did. They stole our benches. Now they guard the property because the church has become a little oasis in the middle of this barrio. And it's really cool. So let's just pray for Harless and Lori as they go, okay, this weekend. Lord, I want to thank you for our brother and our sister. We thank you for them. We thank you for the opportunity that they have to go and uh, represent us in Nicaragua this next week. And thank you uh, for this ministry and how you blessed Pastor Teodoro and that and the Iglesia, uh, Bet Eladonai there. We ask God that you would continue to do that. I pray, Lord, that Harless and Lori would see what you see. Jesse would see what you see, Lord. And that, um, God, we pray that you would just really, um, well, reveal to us the next steps about what ministry looks like there in Managua. We thank you for the good things that have gone on there. I thank you, Lord, for the privilege that we have to have been a part of it all these years. And uh, we're seeking you for the next phase. And so we pray your blessing on Harless and Lori and Jesse as they travel. And we ask this in your holy name. I'm jealous, I wish I could go. And then one more thing. Uh, we have, we've been up, we're, we're up one. Uh, Keith, and, <laughs> Keith and Michelle Jones have brought baby Sierra this morning. This is Sierra's first time to church. That's kind of cool. Previous to this, she was unchurched and now she's coming to church. That's really amazing that that happened. We're happy for you guys. Like I said, I remember, was it Nick a couple of weeks ago that said he kind of shared your brief testimony that it was not all that long ago that we were praying and asking God to give you children. And uh, are you asking, you're like, okay, God, stop, stop. <laughs> yeah, they're thankful and they're done, I think. So, well, this morning, um, this morning, let's look at the Bible for a little while, okay? Um, you know, the Bible is the only book that you read in order to become like the one who wrote it. You don't study or read any other book with that same purpose in mind. You don't read any James Michener or whoever it is, hoping, even Christian books, hoping to become like the author of the book. But the Bible, completely different. We study it, we dig into it, that we might become like the one who spoke it, the one who authored it. The one who authored the Bible is fearless. So may we this morning be fearless. May we be like the one who wrote it. In my research on fear, I wanna talk this morning about breaking fear I guess we've sort of turned it into a series the last couple of weeks. I mean, breaking judgment, breaking fear. I can't help myself. It just works out that way. But in doing some research on fear, I um, came across a website with the top 100 things that people are afraid of. And I'm not going to bore you with all 100 of them, but there were a few that caught my eye. I don't even know if I can say them right. 
We have nyctophobia. That's the fear of darkness. You have glossophobia. It's the fear of public speaking. A lot of people have that fear. There's electorophobia. Any guesses what that is? It's the fear of chickens. So KFC is out of the question. So I'd like to take some one of those people to KFC and just see what they do. Like, do they twitch or what do they do? How about globophobia? It's the fear of balloons. There's pediophobia, the fear of dolls. Um, I used to cut the heads off my sister's dolls when I was a kid, but I was never afraid of them. Then here's this one, kinomortophobia. Kinomortophobia. It's the fear of zombies. I'm thinking, do these people know that zombies aren't real? Like... I can understand being afraid of the darkness. I get fear of bridges. I get the fear of something that actually is. But like, if you're afraid of zombies, just don't watch those movies. I don't <laughs> Okay, anyway. Although my wife swears that zombies are really possible. So I, I, all you Star Trek people can get together and talk about that and figure that out. Here's another one. All you kids have this one. It's the didascalanophobia. It's the fear of school. <laughs> and every kid's like, oh, I do, I have it, I know I do. Didascalanophobia. If you can spell it, I guess we can give you a day off from school this year. How about the last one, xenophobia. That's the fear of the unknown. Love that one. These people don't even know what they're afraid of. It's like, what are you afraid of? I don't know, that's why I'm afraid. I'm afraid of the unknown. Like, oh my goodness. Friends, the point is, we're not created to fear. You know that? Fear is not a part of your DNA or mine. God specifically created Adam and Eve to rule over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Humanity is supposed to be at the top of creation. Fear is not a part of our DNA. We've been made in the image of a fearless God. So where did fear come from? Well, Genesis chapter 3, verse 10 says that God, he came to visit Adam and Eve after they had sinned. Remember God, the forbidden fruit, the whole thing, they ate it. God came to visit them as he had done every other day. And it says they ran from God. And then when God caught up to them, Adam said, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And then God responds with this question in verse 11, and I just think the question is kind of interesting or funny, but God says, who told you that you were naked? Prior to sin, it was never obvious to Adam and Eve that they were naked. Before they sinned, Adam and Eve were invincible. They were ruling, they were managing creation, they were naming animals, they were walking with God, they were on top of the world. And then sin entered the picture, and suddenly they began to see excuses. I'm naked? I, I can't rule the earth in the nude. When pride reigns, fear rules. Say that again. When pride reigns, Fear rules. It governs the day. Pride. 
self, me. When I'm in charge, then life is reduced to just what I can see. Life becomes limited to my abilities. Fear sees God through the eyes of earth. Faith sees earth through the eyes of God. Fear is all about managing life so that it's safe, so that it's predictable, so that I got it under control. But friends, to see God, I must be willing to look beyond my obvious resources. The glory of God is not found in my comfort zone. Many people are not victims of error. They're victims of truth not lived. Fear will only allow you to live the safe truths out and nothing more. The Bible gives some great examples of what happens when fear is permitted to rule. Let's look at the effects of fear, okay? Psalms 37, verse 8, it says, Refrain from anger and turn from wrath. Do not fret. It leads only to evil. Anger, wrath, fear leads only to evil. How many bad decisions have been made with anger, wrath, or fear as the foundation of them? Every one of us can probably tell a few horror stories of decisions we've made based on wrath, anger, or fear, and we regretted it. Eh? Luke chapter 21, verse 34, Jesus said, he said, be careful, be careful, or your hearts will be weighed down by dissipation, drunkenness, and the anxieties of life, and that day will come unexpectedly on you like a trap. Jesus says, be careful. Dissipation, dissipation means to dilute, you know, it's dissipated. It's, it's, it's taking my nice hot cup of strong coffee and watering it down and turning it into Dunkin' Donuts, right? It's, well, and it's just dirty water. What's the point, right? I want something in my cup. It's diluted. Dissipated means it's just, it's, you kind of fritter it away. It's, it's not as strong as it once was. And our lives become dissipated because we get preoccupied with just stuff that doesn't matter. True? Drunkenness, to be under the influence of something else, to be under the influence of alcohol in particular, drunkenness. Um, you know that alcohol is not a good influencer, right? And then the anxieties of life, the anxieties of life, the fears, the worries, the cares, the stuff that just piles on. And Jesus says, be careful, be careful, because that stuff can all weigh you down. And then the next thing you know, the day comes and it's over, like a trap. Be careful. Fear becomes this filter through which we see the rest of the world. We see people and life, and fear is a really unhealthy filter. King Saul had a thick, thick fear filter. Go with me to 1 Samuel 22. If you turn in your Bibles, I'd like you to actually like you to turn in your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 22, verses 6 to 19. And I know some of you younger ones, okay, so use your phones, go to your 
phone Bible. Um, but 1 Samuel 22, 6 to 19. You know, King Saul was the first king of Israel. And remember David, who eventually became King David. But as a young boy, David entered into Saul's service, right? And he was um, just a servant to the king. He played the harp. He ran errands. He fought battles. And David was successful in everything that he did for King Saul and the more successful David became, the more jealous and envious King Saul, the more suspicious he became of David. And King Saul began to chase after David and tried to kill David several times, but he didn't. In fact, there were a couple of opportunities that David had to kill King Saul, and he refused to do that. It's, an, it's just an awesome story. I love the story of David's life and his rise to power and all of that. It's great. But at this point, Saul is chasing David around, trying to kill him. And Saul finds out that David went to the priest Ahimelech and that the priest Ahimelech gave him help. So Saul, this is his response in his fear and his suspicion of what was going on. Uh, 1 Samuel chapter 22, verse 6. Now Saul heard that David and his men had been discovered. And Saul was seated, spear in hand, under the tamarisk tree on the hill at Gibeah, with all his officials standing at his side. He said to them, Listen, men of Benjamin, will the son of Jesse give all of you fields and vineyards? Will he make all of you commanders of thousands and commanders of hundreds? Is that why you've conspired against me? No one tells me. When my own son makes a covenant with the son of Jesse, that's David, None of you is concerned about me or tells me that my son has incited my servant to lie in wait for me as he does today. By the way, David was not doing that, but that's how Saul felt it. But Doeg the Edomite, by the way, he wasn't even an Israelite. He was a foreigner. Doeg, who was standing with Saul's officials, said, uh, I saw the son of Jesse come to Ahimelech, son of Achitub at Nob. Ahimelech inquired of the Lord for him. He also gave him provisions and the sword of Goliath, the Philistine. Remember David and Goliath? You know the story. Uh, the sword, Goliath's old sword, ended up being stored at the, not the temple at this point, but the, what's the word, David? What I'm, I'm, I lost the word completely. Anyway, the priest was taking care of it. David went and got it. Verse 11, Then the king sent for the priest Ahimelech, son of Ahitub, and all the men of his family who were the priests at Nob, and they all came to the king. Saul said, Listen now, son of Ahitub. Yes, my lord, he answered. Saul said to him, Why have you conspired against me, you and the son of Jesse? You gave him bread and a sword and inquiring of God for him, so that he has rebelled against me and lies in wait for me as he does today. Ahimelech answered the king, Who of all your servants is as loyal as David, the king's son-in-law, captain of your bodyguard, and highly respected in your household? Was that day the first time I inquired of God for him? Of course not. Let not the king accuse your servant or any of his father's family, for your servant knows nothing at all about this whole affair. But the king said, you will surely die, Ahimelech, you and your whole family. 
Then the king ordered the guards at his side, turn and kill the priests of the Lord, because they too have sided with David. They knew he was fleeing, and they did not tell me. But the king's officials were unwilling to raise a hand to strike the priests of the Lord. Good for those guys, right? The king then ordered Doeg, the foreigner, you turn and strike down the priests. So Doeg the Edomite turned and struck them down. That day he killed 85 men who wore the linen ephod. He also put to the sword Nob, the town of the priests, with its men and women, its children and infants, and its cattle, donkeys, and sheep. Do you see what happens? King Saul killed Ahimelech and an entire peaceful village of priests with their wives, their babies, their livestock, and Ahimelech was innocent. It was all because of suspicion. Friends, what suspicion cannot control, it kills. What suspicion cannot control, it kills. It destroys marriages, families, careers, churches, destroyed by suspicion. Right now, our nation ripped apart by suspicion. It's at the root of it, fear, suspicion. That's why forgiveness is so necessary in relationships. Forgiveness is the weed control that keeps suspicion from growing and it allows love to flourish. I wonder how fear has affected you in your household and in your life. As I shared a few weeks ago, my wife and I lived in fear of one another our whole married lives. I was afraid that she was ruining my career. She was afraid that I was ruining her life. It's impossible for intimacy to grow in that kind of environment. It's impossible. I wonder, what is fear destroying in your life right now as I speak? The disciples of Jesus, they were literally imprisoned by fear. In John chapter 20, verse 19, it says, On the evening of that first day of the week, and that's the day that Jesus rose from the dead, Get it? So Easter Sunday this is. Easter, well, yeah, I'm getting there. Easter Sunday night, the first day, right? It says on the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. And that's understandable. I get it. Given everything they had gone through, they saw Jesus brutally beaten, crucified, killed on a cross, and they knew that it was a good possibility they were next, right? So I kind of get their fear. But please note what fear did. It locked them behind doors. That's what fear does. Fear locks you behind doors. It imprisons you behind this wall of perceived safety. You feel safe, but you're really imprisoned. I wonder what doors does fear have you locked behind today? 
I've got good news for you. If the jailer fear has turned the key and locked the gate, Jesus is not bound by that door. Just as he did with the disciples, he can pass right through the thickest of walls in order to come to you. One faint cry from your frightened heart can be heard in heaven's halls, and immediately the Son of God himself can be right there with you in that pit saying, peace be with you, peace be with you. Fear is the lack of his presence. Peace is the reality of his presence. God doesn't necessarily remove that thing of which you are afraid. He doesn't. He just comes in and stands by you. Fear makes the wolf look huge. The presence of Jesus makes the wolf look like a poodle. Sometimes God calms the storm. He stands in the middle of your boat and he says, peace be still. But other times God calms the sailor. Sometimes he calms the storm. Sometimes he calms the sailor. I heard Pastor Weston Brooks say this, Pastor Weston, you know, from River of Life Church, our friends in Tolland. He said this a few months back, and I thought it was really a good observation. He observed that, you know, the first, the two greatest commandments in the Bible, what are they? You're kind of mumbling it, like this is like, uh, you know, Christianity 101. Like, what are the two greatest commands in the Bible? Love God. Love your neighbor, right? It's like pounded into us. Love God, love others. The two greatest commands. Do you know what the most frequent command is in the Bible? Fear not. Isn't that interesting? That the two greatest commands are about love, and the most frequent command is fear not. I wonder why. I think it's this. Because the opposite of love is not hate, as many presume. The opposite of love is fear. Because fear keeps us from submitting, and without submission, there's no love. So fear is the greatest inhibitor to love. So the greatest commandments are loving God, loving others, and then right behind it, the most frequently repeated command is, don't be afraid. See, fear says, hold back. Fear says, keep some for yourself on reserve. Fear says, protect yourself. That's what fear says. Love says, hey, give it all. Go ahead, die for them. Love, love says, sacrifice for them. Serve them. Give it up. In fact, ultimate love really dies for the beloved, doesn't it? I mean, isn't that really the example that God has set for us, right? He's demonstrated ultimate love, which is to lay down your life for another. Give it, right? Had Jesus been governed by fear, we wouldn't be here today. He was driven instead by love. The single greatest thing standing between you and the love that you want to give and the love that you want to receive is fear. Fear will keep you locked behind that door of perceived safety. Oh, I feel good. I feel safe. I'm all alone, but I feel safe. So I ask you, friends, has fear really been that good a friend to you? 
I wonder what you've missed out on. I wonder what I have missed out on because of fear, because I listened to it. The voice of fear is always easier to hear than the voice of faith. Always. Fear appeals to my flesh. Faith appeals to my spirit. Do you know the story? Remember the story of the 12 spies and how they went and spied out the promised land for Israel, right? And 10 of the spies came back and they gave a fear-based report, right? They said, it's too big. Here's all the reasons why we can't do it. Only two of the spies, Joshua and Caleb, came back with a faith-based report. Their report believed more in what God said than in what they could see with their eyes, right? They didn't deny the fact that there were giants in the land. If you read the text, Joshua and Caleb were not denying that it would be a battle. They were only hanging on to the fact that God said that land's ours, we're taking it. The other ten only lived by what they could see. The giants, it's big, the walled cities, we can't do it. Joshua and Caleb lived by what they heard God say about it. Friends, the ten spies still exist. They offer the path of least resistance. They still do. You always find a majority of people governed by fear because there's safety in numbers. You know, we're all in this ditch, so the ditch must be the right place. Because everybody else is here, too. This is a good ditch. We like this ditch. Right? And so there's safety there. But it's a ditch, friends. Fear has its own death and its own war. We just got to choose which battle we want to die in. Am I going to die courageous or will I die a coward? Either way, I'm going down. A cheerleader encourages others towards a goal of Fear leader discourages others from the goal. There are far more fear leaders than cheerleaders in the world. I can only ever rise to the level of my fear. And sadly, God's best promises are reduced to the level of my fear. Even in the church, we... We should be, could be, the most fearless group of people on the planet. Right? And yet we're gripped by religious paranoia. Religious paranoia is when we don't do the right thing for fear that the wrong thing might happen. Paranoia. As a result, Matthew 25 the story of the sheep and the goats that Jesus told, that becomes our reality, the story of our lives. The hungry don't get fed, the thirsty don't get drink, the naked don't get clothed, the prisoners don't get visited. Jesus gets missed. But we feel safe. It's a good thing we didn't do that because something could have happened. Can I ask you, do you really want to be remembered for what you don't do? That's what fear will give you. Our entertainment saturated culture has really seeped into the thinking of the church. What I mean by that is this. We are glad to watch radical as long as we don't have to be the ones living it. 
We love to read about it. We love to hear about it. We love to go to their seminars and make movies about it and hear the radio shows about it. We love the testimonies of Radical, but few are actually willing to make the sacrifices that would make them radical. We wanna bring glory to God as long as it's safe. We wanna live with radical obedience, whoo, as long as I can be home in time for Dancing with the Stars. I wanna, I wanna sell out, man. I wanna sell out for Jesus as long as I got a good retirement plan. I wanna help the poor. Oh, feed the hungry. As long as it doesn't cost me too much. Think about it. The truth is, safety has become our savior. Security has become our God. We worship at their altars, behind their locked doors, in the serenity of their padded walls, and then we wonder why abundant life eludes us. Because, friends, safety is not how you were created. God didn't make you with safety in mind. <laughs> For us to live in safety is like an eagle refusing to fly. It stays on the ground pecking around with chickens. That's you and me when we succumb to fear. We stay grounded when God made us to soar. Every time I walk through a cemetery, I'm stunned by the amount of potential that's buried there. Every grave has a story of what could have been. Every casket has dreams that never happened. And many of them could have been had if fear hadn't kept them back. So how do I break it? How do I break fear? Well, which shadow are you living under? You know, Psalms 23, let's say that together. We like that one. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures, he leads me beside quiet waters, still waters. He restores my soul. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Stop right there. Pardon my confusion. I memorized it in the KJV when I was 10, and you know all the versions of the Bible later, I get it all mixed up. Stop right there. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Friends, walking through the valley of the shadow of death is not optional. Fearing evil is. Even Jesus had to walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Every one of us walks through the valley of the shadow of death. That's not an option. But whether or not I fear evil, that is. The psalmist says, I fear no evil. Why? Because you're with me. I need to change shadows. Psalms 91 verse 1. It's another favorite Bible verse. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. Rest in the shadow of the Almighty. 
So I've got two shadows. The shadow of the valley, the valley of the shadow of death, or the shadow of the Almighty. Which shadow do I live under? One produces rest, the other fear. You know, shadows can be a good or a bad thing, right? I mean, at nighttime, when it's dark and stormy, the shadow on my wall, monstrous shadow on my wall, does not bring comfort. But on a hot summer day, when I'm baking out in the sun, the shadow of a big oak tree sure does feel nice, doesn't it? It's shade. That's what it's like to live under God's shadow. Out here in the sun, it's brutal. My, my white boy skin is getting fried. But I step into the shade. It's cool. I can rest. So which shadow will you live under? The level of fear in your life will always indicate which shadow you're living in. The more you're living in the shadow of death, the more fearful you will be. The more you're living in the shadow of the Almighty, the more at rest you will be. So either God's in charge and he knows what he's doing and I'm resting in that shadow or I'm in charge, pride reigns and then fear rules. I choose, you choose. Can you pray with me? Lord, uh, God, I just say this today, that fear has been a really lousy friend. <clears throat> and yet over the years I've listened to it, I've taken its advice. Oh Lord, today I let go of fear. And I want to take hold of your hand. God, it's yours. I want to give you a moment, friend, with our heads bowed and our eyes closed. You know, what is it that you've been afraid of? Perhaps your finances is something that brings fear to your mind or how you're going to pay this or that. Maybe uh, poor health is something that you fear. Maybe it's the fear of being alone and not getting married. A lot of bad marriages have happened because they started by fear. You don't want to enter into that covenant based on fear. Maybe it's your future. Honestly, my first reaction on Thursday with the whole Supreme Court ruling and gay marriage was fear. Fear about our country and where it's going. Fear. But then in the process of studying for this and all, I realized, wait a second. I don't need to be afraid about that. The church doesn't do our culture very good if we're always reacting in fear. 
we're supposed to communicate a better way, a higher way. But I know I was afraid on Thursday and Friday. I don't know what it is, you know. But give that to the Lord. And would you just treat it, treat that fear. I'm going to encourage you something, friend. Treat that fear as a being. Because it is. It's a, it's a demonic spirit. That's all it is. So treat it like what it is. And in prayer, God, I refuse to listen to fear. I refuse to follow fear's advice. I turn my back on that right now, and I turn towards you. I will trade shadows. I will not live under that shadow of fear, the valley of the shadow of death, but I will choose to live under the shadow of the Almighty today, under your hand, God, and find rest there. This is in your hands, and you're in control. Please make that commitment to him this morning. So I thank you, Lord, for what you're doing. Father, I thank you. In Jesus' name. I think Harlech is going to come and uh, kind of lead us in our ministry time as we uh, begin to close here today. <laughs>